All right, now we're live. <laughs> Had some technical, technical issues. Technical issues. So uh, I did a bit of a, a brief intro. I didn't want to give too much info on you because I wanted you to kind of brief the guys on and girls, the listeners, on who you are, what you do, you know, your history in powerlifting and that sort of thing. I'll keep it brief. I'll keep it brief because I don't like long intros. But I've been involved in powerlifting for the last 15 years. Um, well, coming up on 15 years, I started out uh, competing in three lift, and then I made my way into bench only. Um, and I competed in bench only for about nine. Well, I did 11 national championships. Um, and yeah, so my claim to fame was really the bench press. Um, I traveled internationally, competed at three world bench press championships. Um, I got a bronze medal in the at the world world championships for bench press. Um, and at at uh, one time, I had some national records in bench press as well. But more lately, I've been getting involved on the coaching side of things. Um, so since I think 2012, I've been the head coach for Team Canada Powerlifting. Um, I've traveled to, uh, well, all over the world, um, working with the uh, juniors, uh, masters, um, and open teams. Um, so that's my background in the sport of powerlifting, outside powerlifting. Um, I did a master's of exercise science, and my, my research was in strength training, uh, specifically strength training for older adults. So um, looking at how um, older men and women can continue to get strong into their old age, so into their 50s and 60s. Okay. And, uh, okay. and you're involved with my strength book as well? Yeah, and so along the way, I, I've done a few different businesses in powerlifting. So obviously, I, I coach and, and uh, you're my coach. You know, <laughs> I, I co- I've been coaching you for since 2016. Three so years, we're been, coming up on three years. It's been pretty cool to, to see you go through. You know, well, I was there. The, I was there your first meet. Yeah, and I you just competed at the Tremendous. national championships and won. So you competed both classic and equipped you place fourth in the equipped fourth in the classic six six, first, six. six in the i'm getting confused now six in the classic first in the equipped yeah and you qualify for a junior equipped world so that was pretty cool to see you go through that process um so yeah obviously i coach um have, have my own my own business my coaching business and then um i got involved in software along the way and um started my strength book which is a um, it's evolved over the years, but uh, what we're really focused on now is uh, delivering a platform for coaches to manage their athletes' training. So coaches can go on the platform. They can um, design and build their athletes' workouts and training programs, um, and they can communicate with their athletes, track and analyze their training data, do everything they basically do online as, as they currently do, except instead of using Excel spreadsheets, emails, and YouTube videos, they can just use our platform to, to manage their athletes' training. So, yeah, I mean, my passion is definitely powerlifting um, and, uh, yeah, helping athletes and coaches. Wicked, man. And, uh, yeah, having you in my corner at Nationals was paramount, I think. It was... We, we had a pretty crazy day, <laughs> starting off with uh, leaving the elbow sleeves on, having to do three walkouts on the opening squat. Um, yeah, I mean, 
it's not very it's not very typical like i mean as many people might know like you know you compete in powerlifting you you go you show up at a competition you, you do one event right you, you do your you know your your bench only on one day and maybe a few days later you do you know an, a, a three lift event or maybe you just do three lift right yeah um, at nationals because in in canada you have all of your every single nationals is part of one week right whereas yeah. in the u.s and elsewhere um, things are split up, right? Um, so you might have your equipped nationals and your bench nationals yeah. and your classic nationals at different times throughout the year. But in Canada, it's, it's all in one week. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's pretty common that you might have somebody competing on bench on like a Monday and then, you know, later in the week on Thursday and Friday competing the three lift. But the way that the schedule worked out this year is that you competed in both the classic and equipped on one day, um, which I'd, I wouldn't say that you're the first person to do it. I, I could... If I would say that, there, I'm sure there's probably out there somebody out there that would give me an example of that it, it, it's happening, but um, but it's very rare. Like yeah. it is exceptionally, exceptionally rare. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it was pretty neat to to be in your corner and just to be able to sort of you know be with you through through the full day. So you had you had the classic in the morning in the morning session, then you had the middle session off, and then you competed again at night for the equip. Yeah, like I uh, I looked back on it and. I was at the venue for 15 hours. I was like, and I think the, the biggest part of it was not having any caffeine in the morning. So I didn't crash. And then, like you said, get the caffeine going uh, for the second competition. So I think having you in my corner was absolutely paramount. And I learned quite a bit um, watching the guys back there. Like, I think I was really lucky to have, be lifting alongside those guys like Stin. I don't know, I'm going to try to pronounce Bryce's last name, but everyone knows Calgary Barbell Bryce. Uh, really cool to watch those guys, um, and I can learn a lot from them moving forward. Yeah, I think that's like that's one of the cool th- things about competing at a higher level of competition is, you know, there's people that just come, come for the meet, and then they leave right away. You know, they come for their event, and then they just sort of like, you know, they, they fly in, they fly out, right? But I, I've always found value for myself as an athlete to, to show up at these events and then to stick around like a, a few days after and, and to watch some of these people that you may only just follow online or, um, or that are just simply better than you. Um, and just see how they see how they go through the day, right? See sort of what their demeanor is like. Um, you know, what, what's their sort of emotional state like, are they calm? Are they hyped up the whole time? Um, you know, what are just, uh, their warm-up patterns like, you know, how are they in the staging area before they lift? Um, and then obviously the execution of their lifts, like what are they doing from a technical standpoint and what are they doing from an attempt selection standpoint? And there's lots that you can learn just by being in that environment and even just being a spectator. Um, if you put yourself in, in the environment, that's why I love going to Worlds because, you know, in Canada we might have a, you know, a specific set of, you know, um, ways of doing things in powerlifting but when you go and you talk to somebody from ukraine or you go and you talk to somebody from sweden australia whoever you just learn so much about how they do things over there and it's not that it's not that they're doing things wrong right it's It's just that they're doing things different yeah um or it's not it might it might not even work for you like it could be wrong for you but you have to understand sort of where they're coming from and why it works for them and for me to sort of have that perspective has, has really helped sort of how I work with my own athletes so you're absolutely right like sticking around and, and watching people lift you do learn a lot well like I learned um I listened to a podcast with you on it a while ago just referring back to learning from other nations and there was a bench presser who warmed up with like 12 reps in the back room and usually it's like you don't do that with anything in a you know on game day you're doing 
you know, the bar for five, one red, two red for, you know, three, th- you know, up you go. And then to get to a one and then you go out on the platform. But this guy was going up to 12 reps um, or something like that, like a high rep, like something that is completely not standard for powerlifting, but worked for him, you know? Yeah. And he's elite. Yeah. And I mean, I got, I got tons of examples of, of that, right? Like, I mean, um, like I think the specific case that you're talking about is um, – uh, at, at a bench worlds once, you know, the day before that, you know, the day before that I was competing, I was in the warm up room and, um, the people that were lifting with me the next day with me were back there and from, from one country and they were back there and they were having a full on bodybuilding workout. Like yeah. they were pumping their shoulders, high reps, <laughs> that's a 12. They were pumping their biceps, pumping their triceps, like full on bodybuilding. Um, and the next day, one of the guys on the team, he actually won my class. And this was one of the guys that was having this bodybuilding workout before. And I mean, who, who am I to say that, you know, that, that was the wrong way to do things, right? Um, certainly that wouldn't have been optimal for me. That's not how I train. And, yeah. and it's sort of, it, it's, it's not how we do things. Um, it, I think it comes back to how you train. But um, yeah, it's not for me to say that that's, that's, that's the the wrong way to do things it certainly works for him and there's multiple ways to climb the same mountain right um and 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 there's also there's also examples on the other side of the spectrum where people basically don't do any warm-ups like i know athletes that go into the warm room and they they literally have one or two warm-ups or no warm-ups i can think of examples um yeah and they just simply go from cold to doing their opener i know that might sound like completely strange but like that has happened and you know like and they're exceptional athletes right so but at that level like what you're dealing with is you're dealing with the extremes like these people are at the top of their game they're the exception right um these are the like the the point one percent of the population who have managed to sort of go through the qualifications of getting to a nationals getting to a worlds and they're the, and they're now winning the uh, world championships like these are not the people that you want to sort of yeah you want to sort of address and observe what, what's happening, but you don't want to just automatically apply it to your individual situation and your context. So you sort of have to have this filter of like, hey, is this going to work for me or not? And sort of pick pick and choose what, what you actually want to do. But yeah, I mean, you see the craziest stuff, right? Um, <laughs> Part of that is having a good coach to know when to, you know, dial you back. And then... You know, like for the first, like I, for the first year of working with an athlete, you can kind of verify this. You probably don't really know what you're doing. You're just trying things out with them until you find what works. Like I know when we were, when I've talked to John Wesley Cummins, um, who you also coach at, about benching, uh, equip benching, and how we have kind of a similar um, rep scheme and board scheme, but it also changes because John Wesley is, you know, he's benching like 245 kilos. And I'm not, I'm benching less than that. And so how you just, you know, manipulate it for your athlete and find out what works for your athlete, the specific athlete. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess like when, when I start working with an athlete, like on day number one, I know nothing about them. Um, like obviously I'm chatting with them quite a bit before I even sit down and I put together any of yeah. the acute training variables. And so, I, I, you know, but what I would say is that there's the general athlete framework, which is those things that are going to apply to 80% of, of people, right? These are your best practice, best practices. These are things, you know, that, um, have been tried, tested and true, not only with like my athletes, but across different coaches and their athletes. Like these are just the, the broad principles that, um, 
power lifter should should adopt if you're going to get into the sport. Um, it's probably not best to um, to um, do anything too too unique that doesn't fit within those best practices when you're yeah. first starting starting with somebody. But certainly over time, and there is this there is this point in an athlete's training where um, you you get through that eighty percent. So you've, you've tapped into all those best practices and you've optimized and you've optimized and, and you're, um, you're as good as you're going to get by just doing sort of the, the general framework. Yeah. Um, and that's where that other 20% comes in. And that's really that individual athlete framework. Like everybody wants to think that like um, that they're 100% unique. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's not necessarily the case. Like for, for the most part, you can, you can draw – commonalities across different athletes and, and different um, the types of athletes, different body weights and different levels of experience. You can draw commonalities, but there is, there certainly is that 20% that is totally the individual athlete framework that mm-hmm. you're going to have to have uh, acute training variables that are, that are much different for this athlete, you know, compared with another athlete. And, and, and let me just be clear that individual athlete framework. So when you get, get to the level and you're getting closer to the, that biological, um, limit of that athlete, right? Um, and, you know, so they're, they're, they're advancing as an athlete. Sometimes what you implement on the individual athlete framework is contrary to what these best practices are. So it could, it could fly in the face of, you know, what is proven, tried, tested, and true on the general athlete framework side. So there's a little bit of like, um, uh, there, there's some, it, it's counterintuitive sometimes. Um, so, so for example, like, um, these could be things like from a technical standpoint, this could be things like, okay, well, a general athlete framework for piloting would say, okay, well, we want to bring the bar down as low as we can on our back but in a low bar squat position. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you optimize for that. But then as you go along and you start to learn about how the athlete moves and their personal preferences and their, you know, their, their levers and everything like that, that makes sense for this athlete. I'm going to give actually the the counter advice, which is, hey, we actually need to move the bar up, up a little bit on your back, like mm-hmm. an inch or two inches, and, and work with more of a high bar position. And that's not that's not how I would implement it. But that's not the best practice. That's sort of contrary to what you would think it would be appropriate for powerlifting. So that that sort of that one example can be um, extrapolated onto the programming side of things as well. So you know, these could be things like, um, okay, when you go, you know, when you are planning a taper right you want to have your volume decreasing and your intensity increasing right that's sort of that that very classic periodization but the individual athlete framework might suggest that hey maybe that's actually not how this athlete is going to extract the most kilos from the competition platform actually maybe we need to keep that volume quite high leading right up into the competition and you mentioned john wesley and he's he's a prime example like i've been working with john for well longer longer than i've been working with you so um it's been you know three plus years and it's just within this last year where we ran some experiments some training experiments where we did keep his volume really high like leading up to the competition and that's when he was able to extract the most amount of kilos on the platform now is that what i'm going to do with an athlete that's just starting with me absolutely not we're going to sort of default to the best practices and that 80 percent general athlete framework but um yeah so Lots of lots of fun things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Get, getting and it all boils down to time with your athlete. At the end of the day, um, just getting to know your athlete better, I think, and 
Yeah, like I'm, I think we're finally starting to hit a good groove, me and you, because we've been working together for coming up on three years. And I know your coaching style now. And I, one thing I really like about your coaching style is you'll put in like, say, 85% double or triple, whatever, uh, at RP8. So say if I'm having a shitty day and I feel like crap, then it won't necessarily be 85%. It'll be an RP8. But if I'm having a phenomenal day and 85% flies, then it's like, okay, I can bump it up to 87 and a half, you know, not 80, 89. Closer, yeah, and I, you know? I, I think that like there's so many different ways that you can that you can implement like um, individual differences in a program, right? That, I mean, that's that's the whole idea of individual differences. One way you can do that is RPE, and RPE, like a lot of people think of RPE, and they say they have this idea that RPE and percentage-based training are two opposite ends of a spectrum. Like you're either RP, you're either in the RPE camp or you're in the percentage-based camp, and mm. then that's it, right? Um, and and often this is just like you can you see it in the language that coaches uses, right? They or athletes use. They say, um, "Yeah, I'm I'm a I, I have a percentage-based program, or I have an RPE-based program, or even coaches in their screening forms, they'll say, "Do you prefer having?" an RP-based program or a percentage-based program. And the way that I look at RP and percentages is that they're just tools. Yeah. They're just tools to manage the training intensity. You want to have as and, many tools in your tool guide as possible, right? Exactly. So you can't, it's not one or the other. It's You're going you're gonna to use one tool for one situation and the other tool for another situation. And there's no reason why you can't use both tools at the same time. One of the reasons why I like programming RPEs and percentages together is because, well, first, yes, you give the athletes... Uh, a way so that they can manage the training loads because you're not with them right mm. in person so you, you give them a way to sort of scale up or scale down but especially this is especially important when you're when you're teaching an athlete how to use rpe you have to teach the athlete has to, how to apply the tool right it's not it's not intuitive rpe is not intuitive right so Oftentimes, the percentage is a little bit more intuitive. So if you pair the percentage with an RPE, then at least you give athletes a target so that it's not just like a random, you know, uh, that they're not just thinking, okay, well, I'm just going to build up. And, and then when I hit this magical RPE, I'm going to stop, right? Yeah. Because if you don't have a target in mind, athletes have a, have a, have a problem structuring their warm-ups and structuring their, their progressions to, to get up to what might be an RPE8. Because um, one of the things that I really hate is that if I program like, if I, as I'm doing my programming, I, I keep track of lots of training metrics, right? Volume being one of them. And if you are teaching an athlete how to use RPE and you don't pair it with a percentage so they have a reference point, oftentimes what will happen is they'll do what's called micro jumps. So they'll do a. That's what I do sometimes. Do, <laughs> yeah, well, they'll, they'll do, let's say, 500 pounds. They'll say, eh, that wasn't an RPE 8. I'll do 505. They do 505, and they're like, eh, that wasn't an RPE 8. I'll do 510. Then they do yeah. 510. They're like, eh. And they just keep doing these micro jumps until they feel like wherever they're at is the RPE 8. But they're burning themselves out, right? Exactly. They're doing way too much volume at these high intensities that I wouldn't otherwise want from a volume perspective. So having that warm-up in mind or having that target in mind is actually important because then they know, okay – I'm going to take it, let's say it's 85% as the target at RP8, right? They know that that, that, that weight should feel like RP8. However, my last warm doesn't need to be 84% or 83%. Yeah. It's probably going to be 78% or 80%, like a reasonable jump up to what a target might be. And then my sort of my expectation for my athletes is 
based on their last warm-up, that's when they assess whether they're going to scale above that 85% or scale it down. It's not like they hit the 85% and then say, oh, I'm going to scale up now or scale down. No, it's they already have that target in mind, and before the target, they're, they're thinking about whether they're scaling up or down. Yeah, like that's one thing I had a, a little bit of trouble with this last training cycle because we were doing so much work. We were doing the two SBD days and the the equip day I felt oh I always felt really good and everything felt, you know, right on point. But on the raw days, especially on the squat, I would go in and everything felt heavy. Like usually weights that in pr- previous preps didn't feel heavy at all. They just felt heavy and I think it's just cuz I was so fatigued. But uh yeah, I would, I would go in and like like that day I squatted you said you wanted a, an RPE. I think it was an RPE 8. You're like I don't want anything over an 8 and it was an absolute grinder 10 like 560 which we we like smoked that on on the platform right like it wasn't even an issue like it was rp7 so it's just like yeah it's i think a big a big thing is an athlete knowing himself too a coach has to know the athlete but the athlete has to know themselves yeah absolutely i think like so just just to give context right like you had so you were training for both an equipped and a classic three lift meet and so and you're doing it on the same day so our training was a lot more intense than than any training program that i would ever program and but but it, like going just going full circle like you know i've been working with, i've been working with you for 3 years so i know your tolerances i know your boundaries and so i was very comfortable programming a very hard training block the 8 weeks that we actually prepped um i, I was very confident in sort of the execution of that um, and programming that, um, but yeah, like you're right. The athlete has to know. So here's the big difference between here's just the flat out difference between a novice athlete and somebody who's a little bit more intermediate and advanced. A novice athlete, there's a disconnect between where they think they are and where they actually are. Yes. There's a total disconnect. They will say, "This is where I'm at today. This is where my RPA is today," and they'll 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 uh, they'll think that. But then when they actually execute on the number, there's a massive difference. Right? There's, there's a disconnect there. The best athletes or the athletes who are like starting to learn more about themselves, that skill becomes a lot more tight. So where they think that they are and where they actually are become the same point. So yeah. if you tell me – and it's an important skill to have because just think about in a competition environment. Like you come off the platform and – and I say, hey, five kilo jump, ten kilo jump, and you're like, I'm good for ten. I gotta know that where you think you are on that ten kilo jump, I need to trust that you know exactly where you are that day, well, right? I can use my coaching eye and, and look at the speed of the bar, and I've already seen hundreds and hundreds of reps for you in training, so I can use my use the evidence that I know. But you also have to have that ability as well. well and so, yeah, it, it it it's important in training, but it's also important in in the environment as well. Well, it's like for my third equipped deadlift on on you know game day there you came up to me and you said 277 and a half or 280 and i was like 280 because i wanted the 800 kilo total i didn't want a deadlift less than i had deadlifted classic in a suit right and you're like are you sure and there was that little bit of like a, a tug of war of what we wanted to do and i said to i said do you think i have 280 and you looked at me and you had kind of like not like a, a sure look, but you just you weren't sure because we'd already taken eighteen max or seventeen maximal attempts at this point, and the previous attempt was so easy that we didn't know like it would have been a fifteen kilo jump we didn't know where we were right, but you trusted me enough to put that attempt in, and then I think that's just you know a coach and an athlete knowing each other and working with each other for so long. 
Yeah, hundred percent. Like, I mean, like I, I know you as an athlete, and and so, and I know that you where you think you are and, and where you actually are are the are the same point. So, like sometimes what I'll do in in a meet day setting is I'm not challenging an athlete. Like, uh, you know, if I say two seventy seven two eighty, and and uh, you know, and then you say, well, I don't know. <laughs> well, if you say I don't know, then I'll I'll just put two seventy seven yeah, because I'm going to take a hundred percent shot. And sometimes I just want the athlete to tell me confidently, like I want to look in their eyes and I want them to tell me confidently two eighty. And it's not like an ego thing, or it's not like hey, I want an eight hundred kilo total thing, like I'm thinking in milestones because I don't care about milestones. I just care about making lifts. Yeah. So whether you whether you total seven ninety seven or whether you total eight hundred, it doesn't matter to me. I just want you to make that lift because if you don't make that lift. You're going to be at 780, right? Yeah, yeah. We're going to lose all these kilos. <laughs> so, like, what I'm looking for in that moment is not is not like it's not challenging. It's just like you tell me confidently where you think you are, and then if there's any doubt of where you think you are, well, then I'm going to, I'm going to make the call on the lower number, ten times out of ten, because I want you to make that third deadlift, right? Absolutely, just super important. Um, and then just going back to something that you said that you said that I just wanted to touch on is uh, just the RPs and training again. Um, The RPEs is also a way to like manage fatigue, obviously, mm. right? In training, so sometimes when I pair RPEs and percentages together, um, it's it's a way to have a cap on how much fatigue that I actually want you to have in a specific workout, and that's what that was. That when I was programming for you, and I was like, I don't want you to go above an RP eight. It was basically like me saying, Hey, take this eighty five percent. If this is the if the eighty five percent is is it, it, you know is there, but your RP cap for the day is an eight. So if it goes over an eight, then you're shutting it down. Yeah. Because it was such a fine trip balance between because you had one really heavy raw day and one really heavy equip day, and then that, that those weren't your only your two workouts like you had other workouts yeah, as well but it was workouts, too right? heavy yeah it was two heavy workouts raw and equipped singles right and so it's like we need to balance that fatigue that fatigue management was super important so i was giving you rps as a way to say don't exceed this this is your cap because i need you fresh for the next three four six weeks right as as jocko would say we were balancing the dichotomy <laughs> that's right but uh that kind of leads me into my next question i have some show notes and uh, the next question is, um, besides the obvious big total, what is the difference between a high-level athlete and a low-level athlete? Because I know you've coached many high-level athletes. You've coached Eric Willis to a gold medal. You've coached guys like Kelly. You've coached all these world-class athletes. And you've also coached guys at local meets and girls at local meets that are new to the sport. So what, like, other than athletes knowing where they are, What's the what's the difference? Is it psychological? Is it? Yeah. Uh, so just purely on a meat level, purely on a on a meat level. Like when I look at a beginner athlete at a meet or a, or a, a very seasoned athlete at a meet, it's the ability to reduce the amount of inputs. So a novice athlete will there's all this stimulus that's happening out there in the external environment. So um, you know it's a busy warm room. They got refs doing this. Um, they got you know the, the clock, which is you know that they have to always keep it in focus with like what's happening with the timing, like how how to time the warm ups, how to do that. Right? Um, there's all this stimulus that's happening. Their friends, their coaches, everything like that. And an honest athlete will will accept that input, right? They'll yeah. they'll absorb all of it and they'll they'll try to process it, right? And so rather than actually focusing what's 
focusing on like just their singular job, which is lifting the weights, they are affected by all these inputs. And a more advanced athlete is able to um, they're they're able to censor what uh, what they actually uh, input. So um, you know they, they can deal with distractions is what what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, so they don't let something something random happening in the warm room distract them. They don't let um, you know a, a missed you know the, the missed timing of an event or you know the the schedule being a little bit off. They don't let that affect them. They they yeah. can they can just simply focus on like the very next thing, which is like, I'm going to do this next warm up, and then I'm going to do this next one. And then I'm going to walk over here and I'm going to sit down. And I'm going to wait till my name's called on the platform. And they, th- their inputs are very singular and they don't let anything else inside, inside of that, um, inside of that system. Okay. One. Yeah. You know what I hate to hear from, from powerlifters is like at nationals, there was this one scenario where one plot, there was a, is a dual platform meet right so there's one pl- platform that was running way ahead of schedule and one was way behind and the one platform actually finished um early and the other platform had three flights on it and so they switched one of the other one of the other flights to platform one so to get the meet rolling faster and i heard so many people after go oh my god you know that ruined my day i i couldn't deadlift anything because i was so tired it went so fast and i was like dude Everybody in your flight had to deal with that, you know. Yeah, like that think, just shows they have growing to do with their their mental state as, yeah. an, as an athlete, you know. Yeah, like people come into meets and they really expect a perfect environment, and I don't know why. You have I to don't have why. contingency plans. Yeah, I don't know why people go into the a sporting environment and expect that the environment is going to be just constant, like it's just going to be predictable and constant, like. Where, where, in what other sport is, yes, certainly, certainly some sport environments are more predictable than others. Like you have football, let's say, and you're going into a football game and you don't know if somebody's going to blindside you and whatever. Um, You're not going to be squatting and somebody's not going to come tackle you. That's not what I mean. I mean, like, there are going to be, like, embedded in any sport environment is things that you just are not going to be able to predict and control. Yeah. And I don't understand why athletes come into a powerlifting environment and think that everything is just going to be exactly as planned. Like, it, it's almost, it's as predictable that things aren't going to go as planned <laughs> than anything else. I'm, so, I'm, so people really expect this perfect environment where they shouldn't. And and um, and so it's, it's so it's, the first thing is is that athletes have to understand that. Okay, they have to understand that. Like, the more predictable training environment is training. Like, you can train when you want, you can take as much rest as you want, you can take the lift when you want, it's training. Training is a completely predictable environment, competing is not. So the first thing athletes have to understand is that, okay? And the second thing that athletes have to deal with is that when something goes wrong, and it's absolutely predictable that something is going to go wrong, whether it's something small or whether it's something big, that you can't complain. Complaining is like the absolute worst thing that you can do because as soon as you verbalize Breaks that you. something is wrong that you know you're that it just totally spirals down into it takes over your body and, and like j- just the act of verbalizing like that you know something is wrong it, it then is like what else is going to go wrong and it starts to Negative. define who you are that day um like and, and i tell athletes this all the time like 
I only have one rule in the in the warm room. Like when you come to a meet, it's just don't complain. Like I, it's just you cannot. And it goes so far as you shouldn't surround yourself with people that complain either. Yeah. Because what happens is is that you hear other people complain about how the schedule is there, so they move platforms or whatever. Mirror neurons, and, bro. And it's so easy to complain along with them. Yeah. Because they've normalized it. They've said, you know, uh, you know, they've they, they they've they've whatever they're shit talking this or that and then it's so easy for you to do that yeah and you have to remove yourself from that environment and go somewhere else Detach. you can't wrap yourself in that so it's two things it's yeah expect that something's gonna go wrong in a meat environment and two like man don't complain like that's just as simple as that and it just goes back to what you were saying is like well the, the beginner athlete and the advanced athlete like the advanced athlete does that and the beginner athlete still has some learning to do absolutely and like Obviously, Matt Gary, uh, he coached me at last year's Nationals, um, and Susie, and their big thing is attitude and effort. That's it. And, uh, you know, you see athletes miss an attempt, and they walk back, and their body language is just like, their posture is bad, they're like rounded over, they're sitting on the chair, they throw their wrist wraps down, they got horrible body language, and I saw it in the back room with athletes that are just like, they missed an attempt, and it just, you know, they carried it over onto the next attempt, and they didn't shake it off, and they didn't detach, and... And say, okay, whatever, you know, like, whenever, like, when I miss an attempt now, and I, I was that athlete too, like, I remember at Westerns, I had a horrible meet, I, I just wasn't, it wasn't my day, and I was frustrated, and, uh, you know, I missed a bench attempt, and I got frustrated, and I, like, I just spazzed out, right? And then I learned from that, and now, at Nationals, I missed a, be- missed a bench attempt there, and I just literally just compartmentalized it put it to the side and just pretend I made the attempt and moved yeah. on to my deadlifts. Yeah. And- it, it's, it's so true. Um, it's so true. Like body language is, is super important, right? Um, you can trick your mind just by what your body is doing. Um, like, you know, if you're dragging your feet, well then your body's just going to feel a little bit sluggish, a little bit tired. Right. And, and conversely, like if you're feeling tired, don't drag your feet. Like pick up your feet, like walk with purpose, like walk with walk upright with your shoulders back, and and it'll make you it'll it'll make you feel um, the way that your body is acting, right? So I mean that that's a huge thing, um, and and yeah, like I I don't think I've ever seriously I don't think I've ever seen an athlete in powerlifting who who's had a freak out after an attempt, like either they've they they got super upset with a lift. Um, and they're crying or they're just getting mad because they missed it. Like there's a whole range of emotions and I've seen both. Like I've seen it with elite athletes. I've seen it at like the world championships. I've worked with athletes who have cried after missing their, their first opening squat. Um, athletes who have been absolutely pissed, throwing their wrist straps, throwing their belt. Mm-hmm. I've never seen an athlete come back from that yeah. mentally in the moment. Now it's probably way more deep seated, right? Like they, they probably have a lot of, um, work that they have to do mentally right that that's tough to just get in the moment yeah but but often a very good trick is just control your body right like if you can control your body and you're actually like just like not throwing not you know like um deep breaths exactly like just (laughs) breathe like just and and just control your body your mind will follow not all the time but it's a it's a trick that you can use right and um, yeah, I mean, you did it perfectly. Like you missed a you missed a, a bench, uh, an opening bench, right for your uh, on your raw day, 
and um, yeah, you just walked out, um, walked off, and then I said, I think you want to go up, and I said, we're going to repeat that. Yeah. And you were pissed for like a, a millisecond, a millisecond, and then you're like, cool. And yeah. then you're just like, we're, we're going on, right? Um, stifle that emotion immediately. Yeah, and it was just like, it was just, just, it was just such a pro move because it was just like, I'm not going to let that affect me. Like, yeah, I want to go up, but that's just ego. Like, the smarter game plan is just like, let's repeat this. Um, and yeah, like, you use the word compartmentalize, and that's exactly what it is. Like, it's it's putting those emotions. It's a it's a skill. It's not easy to do. No, <laughs> and you have to work through it. But it's it's, it's putting skill. those it's putting those feelings in in a in a firewall in the back of your brain, and then just letting it go. Right. What you have to do is you have to you have to think. You have to be conscious. And uh, a lot of times, the word self conscious is negative. It has negative implications. But I think the word self-conscious uh, can be a very positive word because if you're conscious of yourself, then you know what you you look like, you know? So after you miss an attempt and you're throwing your shit, if I'm, if I'm your competitor, I'm fucking, you know, licking my chops. I'm like, okay, this guy's broken. I don't even have to worry about him anymore, you know? Yeah. But if you, if you have the skill to just, after you miss a, an attempt on strength, bad or whatever it is, and you can detach and, and, and know what you look like on the outside and be calm... And go in the back and say, "Okay, I'm gonna smoke this on my next attempt." To your competitor, they're gonna be like, "Holy fuck, this guy's, you know, this guy's put together. He's squared away." And yeah, that's, absolutely. You know, you're you're a real threat when you can do that, and when you can master that mindset, that's a lot of athletes could really benefit from that. I think a lot of athletes leave kilos on the platform um, because their mindset is off. Yeah, and these these are really big. These are really big like things that you're that you're trying to work on with with a person. It's not just an athlete, right? Like if an athlete's expressing though, if they're behaving that way after a missed lift, it's 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 part of who they are, right? Yeah. Like it's it's they're going to get upset about things like small things in everyday life when things aren't going to go their way, and so it's it's it's. It's, it's, it's easy to say this, but it's much more harder to implement because what you're trying to do is you're changing like the fabric of who they are, yeah. right? It's getting them to think about themselves differently um, uh, and, and how they respond to, to events and things like this. So, um, yeah, I mean, these are, these are hard things to, to deal with, but, but exactly what you're saying is being a little bit more self-aware is, is definitely like a trait of, of these higher-level athletes. And you don't learn – you don't – what I found is you don't learn those skills on game day. You get you plant the seed on game day. When you learn about that is when you you're on the plane ride home, and it's like a three hour plane ride, and you're thinking about your performance, and you know you're you're watching the video, and you see yourself walking off after you see the three three red lights come up or the two to one come up, and you're like throwing your belt or throwing your wrist straps. You're like, oh man, I look like such an idiot, and I don't want to look like that. <laughs> I mean, in the in the moment, you feel in the moment you probably feel a little bit good, right? Because you're just you're blowing off some steam. You're blowing off some steam, but then you're right. Like once <laughs> you're sort of in a calm state, and then you see yourself as a third person. Like you're like, yeah, that wasn't the best way that I that I could have handled that, right? So you do have that reflection. Yeah, and so that's kind of where I. Okay, so we're good there. Uh, going into my next question. Um, things young athletes can improve on we kind of covered some of this um learning how to detach during the event um anything else you can think of that a young athlete can can improve on um in powerlifting i mean 
it just comes back to the fundamentals, right? Like, um, trying to, trying to be, trying to continuously learn. And that comes back to technique and programming. Like if, if you could, you know, like if you could always be thinking about at least having one goal that you're working on from a technique standpoint every week, then you're far better than like 90% of powerlifters. Cause if you ask lift, if you ask powerlifters what, you know, what their goals are, they're going to, they're going to start rhyming off numbers, um, number <laughs> goals, right? They're going to start say, I want to squat this. I want to do this. Uh, I want to do a three by three of this or whatever. And very rarely will you get somebody to say, well, I actually have a goal to do this specific thing with my squat technique or this specific. And, 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 um, and they can, they can break that down to here's what I'm focusing on this week in this workout to make sure that I'm moving the needle on that goal. Um, so always having a technique goal, uh, you're right. And then learning the whys behind the programming decisions. So hopefully younger athletes have a coach, right? And one of the things that I do um, with my athletes, which is extremely time consuming on my end, uh, but that's one of the reasons why I only work with a certain number of athletes is because I try to educate my athletes on the whys behind a programming decision. So, um, so th- what that looks like is that every week um, I will create a voiceover, uh, uh, yeah. 15 to 20 minutes voiceover, yeah. and I'm explaining something to do with the programming decisions um, around like here's why we're doing this protocol or here's why we're doing this and here's how it fits into the bigger structure of things. So hopefully somebody who has worked with me for a year, two years, three years, whatever, they're getting basically an education in powerlifting programming and these sorts of decisions. Um, I can't stress the learning enough because even like, you know, like it never stops, right? Like it, it just never stops. So weight belt mentality. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't know, like, I, I guess like what can younger lifters, you know, you know, what can they do? They can, you know, slow it down. I think slow it down, they, they, have a little, have a, have a little bit more of a growth mindset, you know, just learning over time, play the long game. Learning about programming. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. Okay. Okay. Play the long game. All right. Um, next question is differences between coaching equipped powerlifters and classic powerlifters. I think there's more similarities than differences. I don't. I don't think that it's all too different. I think that. Um, I think that you have to. I think athletes just have to be in the gear a lot more because mm-hmm. that is the sport now. So when you talk about specificity, when you talk about like, it's a, it's a different sport in that regard. Like they have to be in the gear a lot more. Um, and I'm, and I'm believing that to be true a lot more now. So like year round, I think athletes need to be in their gear if they're an equipped power lifter. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like, but in terms of coaching, I mean, the process is still the same. I mean, the, the technique sort of, uh, you know, the technique development, we're working through the technique development, those technique goals. And, you know, we're, we're thinking about the programming in terms of the competition schedule and where we want to sort of maximize our strength throughout the, throughout the calendar year. But really there's, there's not a lot of differences. It it comes down to just being in the gear a bit more. Um, and, And there's programming nuances and things like that, obviously, but like, 
it's not like I'm going to approach coaching an equipped powerlifter different than a classic powerlifter. The, 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 processes, the processes that I have in place are the exact same. Fair enough. You're just going to use different tools like boards and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say like... We use a know, fair amount of boards in our classic training though. Yeah, absolutely, and, and that's specific to you. Like, I mean, like uh, you, you definitely need to be doing a lot of raw board stuff just to help your your raw bench. But, <laughs> yeah. but, 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 like, yeah, I mean, the the tools are going to be different, right? Like, I, I would I would say like, very rarely would I get an equipped powerlifter to do raw squats nowadays. Yeah, like John Wesley uh, was I, telling me, he's no, he hasn't tested his raw lifts in like years. Yeah, he has I no mean, idea like, where I, his raw strength is. Yeah, and. I don't know. This is just other coaches may or may may or may not disagree, right? Like, uh, I I don't know. But for me, like, I used to be of the mindset that there was that there was times throughout the year where we would do raw training and times throughout the year where we would do equipped training. But equipped powerlifting is a different sport, and if like, and I don't want to be playing a different sport year round. (laughs) Like, I, I, I want to be in that sport and. So, for example, like, we'll always have knee wrap training. If yeah. you're an equipped powerlifter, and, like, I'm not talking to somebody who's like, I'm going to experiment with equipped, and, you know, no, if you're an equipped powerlifter, and that's what you want to do, and you have goals of, like, doing this equipped, right, and advancing to higher levels of competition equipped, um, yeah, we're in our knee wraps, you know, twice a week, right, and then possibly a suit, right, once yeah. a week. So we may, we may cycle the suit in and out, but, like, we're definitely in knee wraps twice a week, right? Yeah. Um, same same with the shirt, same with same with the deadlift suit. So we're just in the gear a lot more. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and kind of my last question for you is, okay, I'm approaching my first world championship. What should I expect during during that you know that meet and expect and plan for on game day and uh, is there anything i could incorporate into my training like i know that world meets generally are very fast pace um do you think that in my training if i you know instead of take you know most powerlifters like we're relatively not lazy but we like you know to catch our breath between sets and if it's a heavy squat set of triples you know that's a that's a pretty big endeavor for us. So, like, um, do you think I should be cutting my rest time down to get ready for uh, in between attempts? Like, what what do you think? Well, my answer may not may, may not surprise you, but I don't think that you need to be doing anything different to prepare for a world championship than you need to prepare for a national championship. Now, let me let me give you some examples here because. The examples are important. Um, a lot of athletes who go to a world championship, they do think that there needs to be a difference. So what they do is they start to do all of these things that that are different from how they prepped for nationals. Keep it simple. And they did all these things to get the success they did at nationals, but now they think that they need to do something different. That's the wrong thinking. Now, it can be as subtle as thinking they need to train harder, right? It could be as subtle as just them thinking, I'm going to the Worlds and I need to train harder. Mm-hmm. And that is just, that's not the approach because um, I've seen it time and time again where athletes have done that and they've gotten hurt. They've yeah. just totally gotten beat up, right? Because they're like, I have three months to get as strong as possible. I'm representing Canada. And they go way too hard. 
and they get they show up at worlds and they're they're hurt they had a back injury or whatever so from a training perspective nothing should be nothing should be different than what you've already been doing now let me give you another example I had another, I used to train, like when I got involved in powerlifting in 2005, I trained with a group of guys that always took seven minutes rest in between sets. And their rap, it didn't matter what the hell it was, what the protocol was, whether it was three sets of 10 or three by three or what tools we were using, boards, whatever. It was always seven minutes rest. And their, their rationale was that, hey, in a meet setting, you're going to have seven minutes rest in between. You have seven minutes rest, and and that's what we need to train for. And so, okay, that makes sense, right? Like you you train like how you want to compete. But then I remember the first meet that I went to with these guys, and they were again <laughs> totally screwed because then all of a sudden it was five minutes rest that they were having, yeah. or twelve minutes rest, and they were way too cold, right? To be between attempts because they didn't train like that. So, what is the best approach for any competition, not just a world's, but what is the best approach is to be adaptable. Yes. Like if you're going to go to a world championship, you're going to deal with the same same un, like the same things that you can't predict at a national championships, which means that yeah, your session times might move. You got to be predictable. You might change platforms. You got to be predictable. You had three athletes drop out last minute, so now you're from 12 minutes rest down to 7 minutes rest. You got to be adaptable. So you can't predict like what's going to, you can't predict and control for every variable and try to train like that. So the best advice is just to be adaptable and to train exactly how you've been training leading up to this point, because it's gotten you the success that it has and your body's healthy and you're strong. So fair enough. Yeah. You know, yeah. When people like, it's funny because like I'm from a small town and like, a lot of people will come up and like people know that I powerlift in my town and stuff and they come up to me and they're like, oh, are you nervous? You know, you're going to the nationals. This is huge. You know, like this is so big. And uh, I'm like, not really. It's no like to me, it's no different than a local meet because what like what really what are the differences? You're on a platform, you're lifting on, you know, Aleco bars and racks and or ER racks or whatever it is. It's no different than the only difference is the location and the different judges. That's it. Yeah, I tell this to athletes on the national team when we're when we're gearing up for for the worlds. I say, don't put this experience on a pedestal in your mind that mm-hmm. it's any different than a national championships or provincial championships, because once you touch down, you're yes, you're in a new city, whatever, in a new country, whatever. But once you actually walk into that venue, it is going to feel so familiar. <laughs> you're going to have a warm-up room. You're going to have the competition platform. You know what the rules are. It's the same rules on the other side of the planet that it is here. So, yeah. um, it, like, it's a very familiar environment, right? Like, there's nothing – because oftentimes we grow up and we see – we've spent some years watching, you know, these athletes on – uh, you know, on YouTube and and on the live stream of the World Championships, and it looks like this, it looks like this massive thing, right? Like it's this crazy, massive, insane thing. Um, but that's just all special effects. It's not WrestleMania. All, <laughs> yeah, it's all special effects. It's all just special effects. But when you're in the environment, you're like business as usual, right? It's just so familiar. 
and it, it, it could it could just be a provincial championships or a national championships because that's what it looks like when you're like backstage all right um when you get rid of like the you know the the announcers on the live stream and all the hype and all the social media and whatever and you're just sitting in the back room and you're getting ready to do your first spot warm it's the exact same thing yeah so fair enough man that's uh it's about the only questions i've had I've, i have for you i've had you for over an hour now uh, the last question I have is what's next for Avi Silverberg? What's next? Well, I started a new website. Really? It's called powerliftingtechnique.com. Okay. I have 13 articles on there, and I plan to write three articles a week on something to do with powerlifting technique. So I want to build it to be the most resourceful website on the internet that related to powerlifting technique i'm basically doing it as a pure passion project um so i hope to put out a ton of content there and i'm also in the process of hiring some writers for the site so i have one writer uh and i'm in the process of hiring two more writers and i'm just funding this out of just a pure passion because i want to just see it out there in the world um so obviously the writers know what they're talking about mm. and are completely vetted in our experts in their domain and so they'll be doing some writing um, i'm, I'm going to be writing three articles a week um and they're just going to be on various popular topics so all the way from like beginner stuff all the way to advanced stuff so like i said there's 13 articles on there right now um and three a week will be will be published so yeah that's, that's cool. my that's my passion project for the time being but still uh still building up uh, you know, uh, my strength book and wanting to take that to the next level as well. So, um, the coaching platform is a big focus in 2019 and, and we want to try to get as many coaches as possible using the software. It's such a great tool for them. Um, so if any coaches are listening and they want to, they want to, uh, a demo, I'd be happy to personally demo the coaching platform for them. Uh, and they can just go to mystrengthbook.com and you'll see the, you can just contact me there and I'll show you the, show you the software. Beautiful, man. And uh, you're still dieting down and trying to get nice and lean, or you've coming back up to win back your bench uh, bench crown from Shane Martin. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, my my goals lately have just been to try to. I've sort of in the last like year have just tried to try to be try to do different things in the gym and just experiment with my diet. I've never really put a party on my diet for the sake of like from the, from an aesthetic perspective. So like I have been trying to get a little bit more ripped, a little bit more lean. Um, I'm certainly the lowest body weight that I've ever been um, since like high school. Um, so I, I cut down from 275 pounds to 215 pounds. I was a few weeks ago. So 60 pounds I've lost, but I'm now at a point where I actually, I want to actually bulk up a little bit. So I'm, I'm heading back nice. to like around 230. Okay. And then at 2.30, I'm going to make a decision of, like, what I'm going to do. Maybe I'll compete at 105. At 105. Or what I'll do is I'll do another cut, and I'll just try to get as ripped as possible. But, like, when you're 275 and you cut you cut down, it's, like, it's a crazy experience, man. Like, it's, you know, like, it's, it's you learn a lot about diet. You learn a lot about sort of, like, the sorts of foods that work with you and the, the sorts of things. So I'm just, I'm just interested in the process more than anything else. Um, I don't know if I'll step on the platform this year. Like my, my focus is obviously work and coaching and helping my athletes. So, um, but yeah, we'll see. Cool, man. Well, uh, thank you for coming on. You're my first guest on here. So, um, thanks buddy. It's been good. Yeah. We'll, we'll uh, keep in touch and, uh, we'll chat soon. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to getting back in the gym. I feel lost without a program. <laughs>
always. We'll get on the program. Sounds good, man. Thank you. All right, buddy. Cheers. All right, so that was Avi Silverberg. Um, if you want to contact him for any coaching, I'm not sure if he's taking athletes right now, but um, he's ev- at Everyday Avi on Instagram, and uh, you can just message him on there, or like he said, his My Strength book email. You can contact him through there, or Pursuit of Strength, which is his coaching website. Um, some uh, closing notes. Thank you to everyone who watched the last podcast, um, 52 views, which was not what I expected. I expected to get like 10 views, not even. So that was a huge. So thank you for that. And um, if you guys like this podcast, let me know who you want to have on, who I should have on. Um, next week, I'm going to have John Wesley Cummins on. He is also coached by Avi. He's an equip lifter. We're going to talk about some equipped powerlifting. Um, it's kind of making a comeback now. And. Um, yeah, we're going to chat with him for a couple couple minutes and uh, get, some, get some of his perspectives on powerlifting and that sort of things. So thank you for listening, and that is all.